Well, we're going to talk about, uh, as the handout says, everyday evangelism. And uh, before we crank up, let me let me pray. Um, Father, thank you so much for uh, getting people here safe. Thanks for just the, the generosity of Seabreeze Church allowing us to use their facilities all week. I pray that you would really um, bless their staff and bless their church and just give them energy to accomplish the things that they're accomplishing. God, really use them in this community. Um, I pray that they, uh, the people, the students and everyone will just kind of see just a glimpse of what they're, um, how they really model, not only an others first mentality, but just a um, stuff is stuff. And stuff is only valuable to the extent that we can use it and leverage it for your kingdom. So thank you that they have that mindset too. Um, pray God that you would really uh, help give us alert minds this morning in all the workshops and um, help us to learn the things you want us to learn. And particularly in this workshop, I pray that um, <clears throat> as we're discussing things, as I'm sharing things, as people ask questions and stuff, that we would come out of here with just a little clear understanding and glimpse of what um, it looks like to just um, holistically live a, a lifestyle of evangelism. And um, God, that you would really use us to help people step into the kingdom in the days and months and years ahead. So, praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> as you see, the handout's fairly lengthy, and if you're thinking, good grief, does he have like a ton he's going to say on top of that? Not really. Um, I kind of decided to do the, the handout in such a way that most of what I'm going to share is literally written there uh, for a couple of purposes. One, just so you have, um, you're not having to like feverishly take notes, but also so you just have a good resource um, to be able to look back on, you know, and you don't have to trust your sloppy handwriting like mine. I can't read half the stuff I write, so uh, this will hopefully make it a little easier. Um, and so I want to be able to have some time for us to, um, I'm going to read through and then just make some points along the way here. And then, um, and then to be able to discuss uh, have time at the end, a good chunk of time for you guys just to be able to ask questions related to, you know, what I, what I have here on the handout, or also just related to other aspects of um, evangelism. And uh, I have an answer to every question, the shortest answer being, I don't know. Um, so feel free to ask away at whatever. Um, so as as one of, the, one of the, you know, things starting off, I would say, um, is... Evangelism is is much more, and the reason I said everyday evangelism is this is it's not just a small isolated event. You know, we don't just go do evangelism. I mean, it, it really is. I, mean, I, I suppose you can't have like specific times you're going to share, but it really is a lifestyle, and it's even more than just having a clear cut presentation. It really does involve that um, touches on all areas of your life, and so. Yeah, a lot of what we're going to talk about, I think, kind of falls under this sort of equation here. So if you're, if you're a math or science person, you can geek out here for a second. Um, but the, I, I got this from, you know, How to Be a Contagious Christian by Bill Hybels. Uh, but I think it's really a good, good equation. And it's this high potency plus, plus uh, close proximity plus clear communication equals max impact. Um, you know, and each of those are important as you look at just the whole process of evangelism. Um, high potency, you know, you have to be having 
and living a life, not a perfect life, but a life that draws attention that you kind of stand out and kind of like Bevan was talking about, um, you want a potent life. Uh, you know, people <clears throat> can't catch um, a disease or they're very unlikely to catch a disease that's not very contagious, you know? Um, and so, and if you've ever been around someone that, you know, is contagious either with a, a sickness or just they are very, have a very contagious personality or whatever. I mean, you only need a small exposure to have a real exposure if they're really highly potent, right? Um, but there's other, you know, people, if you don't have, I mean, you can be around them all day long, but if there's not a potency about their walk with God, it really doesn't matter how much time you're around them, you know? And, uh, and so first and foremost, you want to make sure, man, that you are really, walking with Jesus that you really um, smell like Jesus and the way in your actions and stuff, there's a, um, there's a fragrance about you that really emanates Jesus. And that's going to really come from abiding and really walk with him first and foremost. Um, this isn't, you know, drive by evangelism where it's like, who cares if I'm walking with God, as long as I say the right things, but boom, all right, later, you know, follow Jesus. Um, and then not, so not only that, do you want a high potency, but you also have to have close proximity. You need to get, close enough to a few enough long enough that you actually can make an impact. Um, you know, I, I have no, if someone has a sickness and they are in another city or another state, I never worry about like, I hope I don't catch it from them. Why? It doesn't matter. Like they can have the most infectious disease ever, but if they're in another place, um, there's no chance of me ever getting sick from them, um, or catching what they have. And so it's not enough just to really have a potent life. You actually have to be around people close enough, long enough that they can see it and catch what you have. Um, and then, you know, beyond that is clear communication. Uh, the gospel is not intuitive. Um, people, you, no one is going to look at your life. Even if you live a life that is different, even if you live as salt and light that we've been talking about, no one is going to say, for instance, like with, Caleb here, if Caleb start, is living a very highly potent life and in close proximity to people, people aren't going to go, you know, Caleb's life is different. And it must be, I've come to the conclusion, it must have been that there must have been a man named Jesus Christ who lived 2,000 years ago, you know, was fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, you know, died on the cross, rode three days later, and is now sitting at the right hand of, the, of God, you know, um, interceding on my behalf. That, that's got to be the reason for why he lives the way he lives. Like, no one's going to intuit that. Like, uh, that it has to be explained. And so, um, for some people, why they, they can go to two, I think, as I hear people over the years, they go to two ends, they think it's just about the communication and say, no, no, you need a life to back up the communication. Um, or they go, I'm just going to live out the gospel and not speak it. And I think, yeah, that won't work. You know, you have to be able to articulate it too. Um, there was a businessman one time that was praying for a coworker of his. I've told some of the guys I've met before, but he um, he was praying for some of his coworkers to come to know Christ, but he never spoke about the gospel with them and never really even identified as a Christian and stuff like that. He just kind of lived, you know, thought that I just lived the life. And later on, one of his coworkers tells him that uh, he ended up coming to know Christ, but it was years later. And, uh, and he goes, oh boy. And he goes, I'm a Christian too. He goes, you're a Christian? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you're one of the reasons I didn't become a Christian for a really long time. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, 
Well, you lived, I mean, your marriage seemed to be going well. The way you handled business and relationships, it all seemed to be going well. And I just assumed, well, man, maybe you don't need God because this person doesn't seem to have God and they seem to have a good life. And so I just tried to copy and just see if I can make life work without God. I realized, well, I don't know what he's doing, but I can't do that. So I've got to follow Jesus, you know, because, you know, you, it's, you've got to be able to connect the dots that the reason I'm living the way I'm living, the reason I have the perspective of values that I have is because of Jesus. And so clear communication is important too. So, um, so I want to talk about a, a handful of these things, you know, some of, some of the process, the scope of evangelism, the, the differences of roles, um, things about sharing kind of related to this whole equation. Um, and then again, as you have questions, jot them down and get notes, and then I will field some questions here too. So, you know, first of all, evangelism is a process. Um, it's a process of explaining in a clear way what God has done in the person of Jesus. Um, and there are two questions that everyone must deal with, no matter how close or far away they are from Jesus. And that's this, who is Jesus? And what are the ramifications for that for my life? Um, I've, I've told that to so many students, even just this year, it's like, man, you're dealing with a lot of questions in college, like that you're trying to get answers to. What am I going to major in? Who am I going to date? Who am I going to be friends with? Where am I going to live? You know, all these kinds of things, but there will never be more to, Two questions that are more weighty or have more ramifications for your life than trying to decide who is Jesus and what are the ramifications for that for my life. And not only that will have a trickle effect on all those other questions too. Um, and so, you know, as I'm, uh, as I'm looking to try to get to know guys and build relationships with them and um, share Christ with them, it's okay to talk about a whole lot of other um, areas of life, but just be careful that you don't go on unnecessary rabbit trails of discussion as it relates to trying to help them step into the kingdom. Bring it back to Jesus as much as possible. Focus on him because, I mean, yeah, they may have questions about, you know, event, uh, evolution. They have questions about all these other things. And some of those things might be worth talking about. But at the end of the day, what do they think about Jesus? Who do they think he is? And what are the ramifications for that for their life? Um, and sometimes I'll even ask just simple questions just to know if it's even a worthwhile endeavor to talk about a certain thing. I'll just say, they'll say, oh, what do you think about this or that from the Bible, this and that? And I'll say, oh, that's a really interesting uh, question. Hey, I'm just curious. If you had a sufficient answer to that question, um, would that make you want to follow Jesus? And if they say, well, no, it's like, okay, well, that might be worth for us talking about at some point. But I'm just curious, what's the bigger question for you? What's the bigger hurdle for you? So let's talk about the core things and not just the rabbit trails. Because for some people, you may give them a total sufficient answer to creation and evolution, all this stuff, and they go, so you want to follow Jesus? No. Why? Not ah, because I still want to do this thing over here and stuff. And so, um, you know, get to the core issues. I've, or people, you know, but there's so many Christians that are hypocrites. You're totally right. Yeah. You agree with me? I thought that was going to be like an argument. No, totally agree. It's like, but, you know, we're not called to, those people, I don't know if they're Christians, whether they're not, or maybe they're walking in disobedience. But what I do know is, if you decide to become a Christian, it's about trying to follow and imitate Jesus, not imitate and follow those people. So let's figure out what, what do you think about Jesus. It's okay if you think those people are jerks. I kind of think some of those people are jerks too. But let's figure out what you think about Jesus, and let's talk about him. So let's go back to what, you know, who he is. I've met very few, in fact, I can't think of any off the top of my head, people that their, their beef was with Jesus. It was their, their beef was with people who claimed to be followers of Jesus. 
that was a stumbling blocks. And so, um, so I want to, or if they have issues with Jesus, it's caricatures that they've heard about Jesus. It's never they've gotten to know who Jesus really is personally. Um, so, you know, it's a process. Then the scope of evangelism. You know, Jesus gave us the scope of the mission uh, and what we call the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, God's heart is that we would all uh, know him. And speaking of Christ's return one day, Peter, one of Jesus' first disciples, he said this. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Um, so you see, you know, God, God's desire, the scope of his, what he wants, he wants everyone as much as possible, as many people as possible to step into the kingdom from every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is not, you know, current geopolitical nations. This is every, you know, people group. That is what he's talking about here in the Greek and stuff. And so he wants everyone to come to know him. And if you ever wonder, why does it seem like history just keeps going on? Well, there's multiple answers to that. One of the reasons is God is patiently waiting to wrap things up to as many people as possible and step into the kingdoms. Because that's his real heart desire. Um, and so not only is that the scope of it, but God has a role for each of us to play within this kind of massive endeavor. Um, as we help others come to know the life that is found in Christ. You know, Paul says it this way in Colossians 4, 5. says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Um, that, that term at the end there, opportunity, um, the Greek word for that, where we get that from is uh, kairos, um, or kairos. And that is a, um, one of the two ways you know, of, of telling time, you know, we have chronos, chronology, you know, lit, and then there's kairos, which is another way of telling time. And that's more of the idea of looking at time from the standpoint of opportunities than it is minutes and seconds. And so what he's saying is there are opportunities that are coming and you need to wisely buy them up. You know, the Greeks had a God uh, named Kairos and it was this man who was, uh, it was like the reverse mullet. You know, he was, uh, had long flowing hair in the front and he was bald in the back. And there's a statue of him, you know, running towards you. And the idea is you grab opportunity as it's coming towards you. Because once it's gone, there's nothing to grab onto. And so, um, so Paul says, man, we want to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders or non-believers because we want to make the most of every opportunity. Um, so uh, that's the scope of it. So then what's the division of labor? Okay. If we, if God wants as many people as possible to come to know Him, and uh, from every tribe, tongue, and people group, and we all have a role to play, we want to be wise about that. Well, part of being wise is knowing what's your role and what's God's role. Um, so we need to understand the division of labor as we join God on the mission He's given us. So we weren't, we're not going to go through all these verses, but this is just a. uh, You guys can look this up on your own. But in case you're wondering, did you make that up, Jeremy? I did not. Um, I got that from uh, the Bible. And so, simply put, you know, in some ways, our role in the whole evangelism process is our role is to pray for people, to love them, 
and to share with them. It's God's role to convict people, to draw them to himself, and to change them. God will not do our role, and we can't do his. <laughs> and in fact, when you think about, um, in your mind, either real situations or hypothetical situations where the idea of evangelism just kind of makes you cringe or, uh, or you've seen it kind of go awry, chances are I'd be willing to bet that it was because people were not doing their role and they were trying to do God's role. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're, they're trying to guilt trip them and pin them to the wall with conviction, you know, or they're trying to coerce them to change, you know, no one ever became a Christian because they lost an argument. Um, and, uh, or they're just, they're trying to, they're not praying for them. They're not loving them. They're not sharing with them. And so now there's a lot that falls under those umbrellas of praying and loving and sharing, but, um, that's, that's God's role to, to convict them of their sin and to draw them to himself and to change them. Uh, he will use us as agents in the lives that we live, in the words that we say, to be convincers and to be examples to these people. But it's ultimately him going to do it. Now, but there's still a role for us to play. We still need to be praying for these people and uh, praying that God would convict them and to draw them and to change them. And we still need to be loving them by looking for practical ways to meet needs in their life and putting their interests above our own. Um, and we're going to talk about that, you know, John 13, 34 and 35 here in a bit too. But that being the primary way that people are going to know that you're followers of Jesus is in the way that you love those around you and the way you love each other. Um, and then we need to both buy up and create opportunities to share, share the differences Jesus made. Um, so how do you practically, you know, love and pray and share with people. Well, um, a few few thoughts there. You know, French. Look at your friendships. Look at your calendar. Look at your preparation. You know, friendships. Who do you know? You need to be involved in activities that will allow you to develop some consistent relationships with non Christians. You know, um, this is much easier and normal for you guys in college to do this. Um, but even then, you got to be careful that you're making sure you are being intentional about it. When you're out of college, it requires even a lot more intentionality um, to make sure you're doing this. But you've got to figure out how to get on just neutral turf with people as much as possible. Um, and neutral turf, what I mean is, uh, you know, not just invite them to your Bible study, not just invite them to challenge or to church. I mean, if you want to invite them to that and they say yes, and that's not a bad thing to invite them to that. But don't be surprised if that's your very first invitation you give them to do something together and they say no. Um, and the reason being is you're asking them to take two big steps at that point. You're asking them to take a step of, hey, do you want to come to this Christian thing, which is a step, especially if they're not a believer. Um, and then you also want to come hang out with these people that you don't know, <laughs> um, which is a step for anyone, Christian or not. And um, But if you can begin to figure out some consistent ways to be getting uh on their turf or getting in at least neutral turf. Like maybe it's things they like doing. Okay, we'll do that with them. Or maybe it's um, things that you just both like doing that you can do together, um, whether it's playing sports, eating meals, just hanging out, whatever. And then you begin to invite some of your Christian friends to join you in that. And uh, and they invite some of their friends and you're doing life on life. Then later on when you say, hey, um, so I have this life group uh, that I lead on, you know, Tuesday nights, uh, and he explained what it is. Would you want to come to that? And you know, and you know, so and so and so and so and so that we have, 
we've been playing basketball with the hangout with. Yeah. Oh, they're going to be there too. Oh, okay. Well, now it is still a step, but it's one step versus two steps where they, they have to decide, do I want to come and be a part of that? Um, and then in your calendar, you know, when will you be around them to love them or share with them? When will you specifically, you know, pray for them? Um, you know, and one of the things we say in Challenge a lot is if it's not in your calendar, it won't get in your life. And so I think a lot of times we, our heart like goes out for people that we're like, man, I really want them to, uh, I sure want them to become a Christian. Man, I really like, and if someone asks you, do you, oh yeah, I, I sure want that to be true. Or like, man, I really care about them. And I just feel loving thoughts towards them and stuff like that. But when you go like, so when in your calendar are you practically going to look for ways to serve them and help them and get time with them? When do you specifically take time to pray for them? Not just like when you found out something tragic going on and you pray for them right then, but when do you strategically and even methodically carve out time to regularly pray for these people that are not believers? Like that's important. You really need to that's where the rubber kind of meets the road. You need to kind of think, okay, when am I going to calendar that? If it's important enough, it needs to get in my calendar. Um, and then preparation, you know, what are some practical ways to love them? What are some practical tools uh, for sharing, which we're going to talk about in a bit. But I mean, part of, you know, as you get to know people, um, you, you just, they don't have to be monumental ways of looking to love people. As You just look for practical, easy ways to do that. I mean, Jesus, the reason he um, fed the 5,000 instead of washing their feet is they were hungry. You know, not exactly a mind-blowing thought and stuff. The reason he washed the disciples' feet rather than giving them another meal is they had just eaten. You know, they weren't college students. They didn't need a second dinner. Like, they were like, oh, I'm full, but my feet are dirty. Um, and so, or they were about to eat, actually. And so, like, you know, look for practical ways. Like, I had a coworker one time <clears throat> in, my, um, in my last business job, and and as I had gotten to, to know her, she sat, she was in head of marketing. She sat at this other desk uh, a little ways from mine. One of the things I just began to pick up and just get to know things better. I, I learned what her favorite um, soda was and I learned what, what her favorite uh, like snack, this candy bar, I can't remember what it was at the time, but was. And, and I just took that mental note. Well, as one, one day I realized that she had had, it was just a pretty rough day she had had, uh, with um, some different meetings and stuff like that. I knew she was having a hard day. So at my lunch break, I like went into the grocery store and I bought one of those candy bars and soda. And I just sat on her desk and, uh, you know, after lunch and just said, hey, I know it's been a hard day. Thought this might, you know, cheer you up and stuff. Cost me like 15 minutes and like three bucks, you know, or some of that. But that made a huge difference in like her um, feeling cared for and loved and stuff like that in a practical way just because I had done some observation and I had taken a little bit of initiative. It wasn't a massive deal. And so you look for just practical ways to love people around you. Um, so related to that, you know, we need to meet people where they are. And this is really discovered through observation and conversation. This helps us to know how to best utilize things in our role of how do we practically pray for and love and share with them. And so you got to get to know people. Again, this is why everyday evangelism, and this runs along the track of relationships and not just um, a set program. You can practically, you have to practically get to know people as you watch their life, which means you have to be around them. And as you have conversation with them, you get to know what makes them tick. Um, and as you begin to get to know people that are not believers, you're going to find that they probably fall somewhere along 
this spectrum of, um, you know, either anti, open to the gospel, interested, or considering, or somewhere kind of in between there. Um, and so these are just some practical things if you think, you know, and, and the reason I point that out is depending on where someone's at in relation to stepping into the kingdom, um, you want to utilize some different tools. And it's not just like your one tool is just share the gospel, just share the gospel, just share the gospel. That is a tool. But I mean, there's, there's other tools to use in the process depending on where someone's at. And it's also encouraging for me to kind of think in terms of this stuff because then I can be encouraged that they're making progress. You know, if your only category is they are not a Christian and then they are a Christian, well, then you're not encouraged at all until they step into the kingdom and think there's no progress being made until they've, you know, committed their life to Christ. That's actually not true. Sometimes people have made progress. You may be around someone for a year and they haven't become a Christian, but they move from anti to interested. Hey, that's progress, you know. Um, and so if someone is, as you get to know them and as you have conversation, you find out they're really uh, antagonistic and anti you know, Christianity. Well, you know what? Part two of the best things you can do for those people is you pray for them and you love them. Um, two of the three roles right there. Um, and then if you begin to find out, you know, actually this person is more open. Uh, they're not, I mean, they're not exactly like carving out time in their schedule to learn about this, but they're open to it, you know? Um, well, again, you want to be praying for those people, loving them, but also you probably want to look for opportunities to share your testimony, share the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And we're going to talk about that in a bit, not just your coming to faith story, but also just in practical everyday situations. How is Jesus making a difference in your life? Um, and invite them to experience community. Invite them to come around to things that you're doing related to challenge or church and stuff like that. Um, let them see, you know, you're not the only weird one. And then if you find over time they're interested, um, and they're actually, and usually they'll show that through their answers, again, through observations, but also just through their time, they're actually like setting aside some time to investigate this a little bit. Um, well, continue to pray for them, continue to love them. Um, look for opportunities to share the gospel with them too and clarify uh, what it means to actually follow Jesus. Um, and then even look for opportunities to have like, uh, and still invite them around the community, but look for opportunities to even kind of have Matthew parties. And if you're like, what the heck is a Matthew party? Well, Matthew was one of the disciples. And if you know, um, he was a tax collector. And when Jesus invited him to follow him, what was one of the first things they did after it says, and Jesus invited Matthew to follow him. Guys, remember? Yeah, they went to his house and they had a party, a Matthew party. Um, and so they, he invited all of his, the Bible says, as sinners and tax collector friends. And, um, and then the disciples were there too, and they just they had a good time. And um, now, basically, in your context, what I think one of the things that it looks like is look for, again, opportunities to create gatherings, whether it's meals, hangouts, or stuff where you kind of get your non-Christian friends and your Christian friends in the same room with some intentionality um, and pray that God does some things through that. Sometimes it may be um, very casual in the sense that, okay, we're just going to get a meal together or hang out. But some of the key non-Christians or Christians that you invite around, they know, hey, this is more than just we're just eating pizza, but let's try to be intentional with our conversation and get to know these people. Look for opportunities to identify with Christ. And sometimes it may be even a slightly more formal where um, the, you're inviting the non-Christian around and you let them know ahead of time, hey, you know, we're going to hang out 
play some sports, uh, eat a meal. And then during the meal, one of my friends is just going to briefly share kind of the difference Jesus has made in his life, uh, just so you know that. And so they're, okay, cool. Um, but so it can be anything along the way. But the goal, the goal is that you do not just have your non-Christian friends over here and your Christian friends over here and the two shall never meet. <laughs> you know, look for ways to overlap those in natural uh, situations. And then if someone is, you know, considering, continue to pray for them, continue to love them, but also, you know, ask them questions, ask them questions and probing questions and answer their questions. There was a guy named Kevin who um, was on the band at USC, ended up coming around, was involved in different things. And uh, him and I, he was involved in someone else's life group, but we were friends and um, we would get together, you know, from time to time. And it took him a couple of years. He ended up stepping into the kingdom. But it took a couple of years, and every now and then we get together, and I just say, "Hey, what are, what are, what's new things you're learning as you're coming around challenge? What what things are sticking out to you as you're investigating Christianity? What questions do you have? I'm just curious." And we just kind of like bat those around and probe some of those. And the next time we do the same thing, and um, and he knew at this point as he's considering, like I wasn't trying to be uh, covert about. it. I was like, "I totally want you to become a Christian. I think it's the best decision you can make." Um, but obviously, you have to make that choice in your time if you want to. But uh, so we'll see. And so he knew I cared for him, whether he was a Christian or not. But I was no and not at all hiding that I wanted him to become a Christian. He knew that. So but there was no pressure on his end to become one. But he eventually did. Um, so this process kind of which includes, OK, we talked about the questions, you know, who is Jesus? What are the ramifications of that for your life? The scope, which is every Christian seeking to reach everyone in all the nations. The division of labor we talked about where and then where people are at, kind of the anti to considering. Um, what does that look like in our day-to-day life? Um, I wanted to just give you a visual and then we'll kind of explain this. Sort of thinking of three concentric circles um, and moving from the outside and then begin to slowly move to the inside of what this kind of looks like in everyday life. Um, the first circle being exposure to your life. Then over time, moving into the witness of the body and then move it even further into explanation of the gospel. Um, so if you start off first with the outer circle, uh, the outer circle is uh, the exposure to your life, not just exposure to the gospel, but exposure to your whole life, getting them around you. Um, the gospel has to be observed if it's going to be understood. Thus, Jesus and Paul's emphasis was on the type of life you're living. When the emphasis is placed as Paul does throughout his letters on integrating the message into our lives, the verbalization part becomes almost automatic. Another benefit of making this your focus is the more the scriptures impact your life and changes it, the more motivated you are to tell others about it. Um, you know, people can't help like, but talk about things that uh, they've really enjoyed or have really worked for them. You know, like people are always like, they have a new life hack. They're like, let me tell you about such, such like, that wasn't even a smooth transition to that topic. I don't care, but let me tell you about such and such, you know, and uh, um, I, you don't even know if I'm interested in that. I know, but I'm interested in it, so I want you to know about it, you know, and um, and satisfied customers always, you know, uh, want to share the latest restaurant or things they do. And, you know, I have no idea what Chick-fil-A's mission statement is, their creed. I couldn't even tell you everything on their menu, but I really like it, and so I'm going to tell people about it, and I want them to eat there. You know why? Because... I'm a satisfied customer. And so, you know, Paul, as, as well as Jesus, if you look through, 
you don't see a ton of times where they're talking about, um, you know, hey, get out there and share, get out there and share, get out there and share. Um, the more of the focus is on learn to abide in Christ, learn to walk with him from the heart, learn to really know him and enjoy him. And as you do, this will become more of a natural byproduct of what you do. Um, it doesn't mean you don't share. It just means there's something that precedes that, the life ahead. Um, and so Jesus said it like this. You guys are familiar with this a little bit. We've been talking about some this week. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it uh, on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Again, hit hidden in between the lines there, there's going to be some communication that needs to take place. Because as I talked about earlier, people are not going to see your good deeds and naturally intuit, there must be God that did this up here and stuff like that. Um, so it needs to be explained. And one of the things that's interesting, you know, I was, I was reading the, through this passage actually just in my kind of yearly um, quiet time calendar the other day. And my wife and I were talking about this passage and I thought, you know, something I hadn't thought about before with this whole idea of a city on a hill cannot be hidden or a light has to be put in a bowl. It's like, you actually, if it really is a city on a hill, you don't have to draw a lot of attention to it for people to notice it. In fact, you have to do a lot of work for people to not notice a city on a hill. You know, like it just, and, and the fact that it is a city on a hill, it naturally stands out. It just, because it is what it is. You know, you don't have to draw, do a lot to draw attention to a light in a dark room. Like you have to actually work at it to hide a light in a dark room. And so again, developing a life, um, the, the drawing attention to it will kind of begin to naturally take care of itself. Um, and then in his letter, in his letters, Paul gives examples of what this is to look like. And, you know, here's, here's one example in Titus 2, 2 through 10. Now I'd, I'd have some of you guys read this, but for the purpose of recording, you know, I guess I'm stuck with that task. So I'm going to read all this stuff. And, um, so it says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home and to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Notice the reason why for the life. Um, similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled and everything sets them an example by doing what is good and your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything to try to please them and not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So, um, you know, in the way that we live, we want, we want the way that we live as we're walking with Jesus to, while it may not fully make sense, we want it to be um, as attractive as possible to those around us. And for even if they don't agree, they can't, you know, malign you and say, well, yeah, but you're doing this over here. It's like, no, you've made... Yeah, you made right. And now that doesn't mean living a perfect life. And that doesn't mean pretend to live a perfect life. You know, living a blameless life doesn't mean perfection. What that means is when you do mess it up, you get it cleared up and you, you, uh, 
to move on from there. So there's been times that I've just totally blown it um, in front of a non-Christian friend and just been rude in the way I spoke about something. And I don't pretend like it didn't happen. What I do is apologize to them and uh, say, man, I sh- that was totally wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Will you forgive me? And usually like, oh yeah, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. That's not me. No, I'm like, I, uh, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus and actually, um, that's not what followers of Jesus look like or act like. And so, but I'm a work in progress. And so that was just, uh, that didn't represent him well. And I just want to apologize. That's you forgive me. And, uh, that's humbling, but I tell you that, that sometimes opens up the door to more conversations than if I had not messed up. <laughs> no, I don't go intentionally trying to mess up, but, um, that just takes care of itself too. It's one of those things. I just naturally stick my foot in my mouth. And so, um, so the first part of is, you know, again, exposure to your life. And then they move into the middle circle. Now, what, say one more thing about the exposure to your life. You know, it ought to be, guys, that people, while they're still considering and sorting and all that stuff, they may, they may totally not believe what you believe about following Jesus. But you ought to be living a life in such a way that they wish it was true. You know, that they're like, I have no idea if this is true. But, boy, I sure hope it is. Why? Because, you know, I want that kind of life. There's, there's a, a guy coming around our ministry. Um, he's a freshman. And, uh, you know, he's still, investi- him and I are reading through John. He's still investigating Christianity. Um, but, and he even said that at one point, he goes, man, I, I sure hope this is true because this is good. <laughs> you know, he goes, uh, he goes, I think I, he goes, I think my parents and my, my siblings could really benefit from this. And I said, well, Maybe so. I was like, why don't you figure out first if it's true for yourself? Because if you decide ultimately Jesus isn't God and this is all a crux, you know, like no point in sharing with your family. And he goes, oh, that's a good point. And so I said, so, but if it is true, then yeah, we're sharing with them and stuff. And he's like, yeah. But I mean, he's, as he's coming around the community of challenge, he loves the way he's being treated. He loves the life and the people around here. And he's like, well, I still don't know if this is fully true, but I sure hope it is. Um, so we moved into the middle circle of the witness of the body. Um, so the middle circle is witnessed by, they see that you are not the only odd one. You know, I mean, if you're the only Christian they know, and even if you're living a life that they want to emulate, you can always, they can always chalk you up as an anomaly. Oh, that's just, you know, so-and-so. They're a cut above the rest. I don't know. That's probably another thing. But the more and more they go, huh, there's a lot of people that seem to have this kind of way of treating one another and um, this value system Okay, I can't just dismiss that. There's some, there might be something to that. Um, they may also see how you, they also see how you relate to one another. You know what caused the first century church to blossom from a group of about 120 in AD 33 to over 30 million followers by AD 350. Um, essentially, it was the practicing of the one another ministry with the following command as its centerpiece. John 13, 34, and 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, such, um, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. But see, non-Christians cannot see you living this out if you're the only Christian they know. They need to be around, they need to be loved by you, but they need to see the way that you love one another and begin to come in the fold of the body. Um, in case you cannot tell, Jesus is no longer physically walking among us these days. And, um, but he is, uh, he is very much alive. And the Bible says that um, the gathering of believers is, you know, we are his body. 
And so the closest thing people are going to see to a physically manifested Jesus, short of him returning, is going to be his body gathered to really, in and, and the way that we really love one another. And so if you want people to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, you need to be have them around you and other believers in the way that you love um, each other and the way that you love them. And see, I don't know about you, but that, not only is that biblical, but that is an encouragement to me because it's not that, oh, so the, the, the thing that this is really resting on is my ability to have Genesis through Revelation memorized and perfectly explained and understood. But it's like, no, the, the real, it's nothing wrong with knowing the Bible and being able to articulate different, you know, doctrines and theologies and this and all that. But the real identifying mark and the thing that's going to make move the needle the most is the way that you really love one another. That's how people are going to primarily identify that you are a follower of Jesus and then primarily identify that way that you, um, you know, you're different. That's attractive to them. And so then we move into the inner circle, which is an explanation of the message. So again, everyday situations, you're over time, you're exposing people to your life, and then you're beginning to expose them to the witness of the body. And now you're beginning to have opportunities to expose them to the message itself. First um, Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so you see, again, you almost kind of see that whole process just within this verse. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Basically, you from the heart learn to walk with God as your Lord. You begin to do that. And as you do, um, expect that and be prepared that people are going to notice. And so given the fact that you know that people are going to begin to notice that over time, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Um, so there's, I, I, I thought, I was trying to think through of a lot of different things we could talk about related to how to articulate um, the message and stuff like that. And there's tons of methods, tons of this and that. But I wanted to give you one resource and then some perspective related to um, to this kind of stuff. And I'll talk about that more in a second. So uh, this is where things like 15-second testimonies and sharing the gospel come into play. Um, you know, 15 seconds is not that long. It's everything. I can't memorize a 20-minute speech. You know, I can't memorize 15, but, you know, you can begin to, and it doesn't even have to be word for it, but you can begin to articulate a 15-second testimony. Um, and in developing 15-second testimonies, there, I would encourage you, don't just have, you know, think to a variety of ones. Um, have one more related to a 15-second testimony related to the difference that Jesus made in your life where you stepped into the kingdom and became a Christian. But honestly, if if the only like God story you have is when you stepped into the kingdom, that's a pretty stale life. You know, I mean, you ought to have uh, like, tell me a 15 second testimony from this past week, from this past month, from this past semester. I mean, you ought to have a plethora of these 15 second testimonies of ways that God has worked in different arenas of your life, where that he's still working and how that's, you know, changing and stuff like that. There ought to be a freshness to your walk with God. Um, that can relate to people on a variety of levels and different things going on with them. And um, so then you, you always want to finish, though, 
your testimony with a question that really invites a response, some sort of open-ended question. And so, again, this is not, does not need to be this rigid and um, precise in any way, but for the sake of giving clarity, I wrote some, you know, kind of a, maybe what an outline or example could look like here. Um, so it would go something like, there was a time in my life when, explain something that's happened in your life, you know, something that you were going through, something, a perspective that you're having a hard time on attitude, a relationship, or this or that. And then after you explain that briefly, again, this is 15 seconds, not 15 minutes. Um, then you see, could say something along the lines of, but then, um, you know, I met Jesus. Then I was forgiven by Jesus and chose to follow him. And since then, this is true. And you briefly explain what's changed. Um, and then you ask, a, and then you, you finish, and this is probably the most important part. You don't just end there where they go, huh, so what are you going to get for lunch? You know, and then move on. But then you invite, and this is the hard part, but this is the important part. You invite a response back, something like, do you have a story like that? Um, or has anything like that happened to you? Um, or what do you do when you go through something like that? And so, you know, one, one example I wrote um, from my life, and you know, I, you could, we could probably write up a bunch of these. Is This is one I said, you know, there was a time in my life where emotions just controlled me, um, from my anger to anxiety to occasional uh, just depression. And then I was forgiven by Jesus and chose to follow Jesus. And since then, I still have to battle be, being the master of my emotions, but there is a peace and freedom that has come from following Jesus. Do you have a story like that? Or maybe, how do you handle your emotions? You know, what do you do when you're really stressed? What are you doing? And that, that opens up to a discussion. Um, but, you know, find, when you're sharing your story, or even when you're sharing the gospel, you know, find the open nerve um, for people as to where it's going to really connect with them. Um, and that doesn't mean make up stuff that's not true about your story and, or make up stuff that's not true gospel. But one of the things you'll find is the gospel meets people wherever they're at. Um, and so that's part of, again, observation and conversation with people. As you get to know them, you'll begin to find everybody has a lot of hurts and needs and wants and desires, but there's some that are higher on the surface. Some that are a little more front and center. Um, for some, they're they are inc feeling incredibly guilty because of the life and choices they've made. Gospel offers forgiveness. You know, for others, they are incredibly lonely. Yeah, do they also probably feel guilty about some things? Yeah, but their bigger deal is they feel incredibly lonely. Well, the gospel offers uh, not only a community and a body of relationships and brothers and sisters, but a relationship with the God who is with you 24-7 and will never leave you. You know, or for some people, they are just anxious and stressed out because of the world around them and their family life and dynamic and this and that. Well, the gospel actually offers real peace, not just circumstantial peace, but, you know, real peace. Um, or for some, you know, they, they just, they really want, they don't just want to dabble their life away. You know, they've played all the video games they can play, and they actually want to live a life of purpose and a life where they actually accomplish something in the world and their life means something, well, what bigger purpose and thing could you possibly get someone hooked on than what God's doing in the world? You know, the greatest rescue mission of all time. And so at, within your own personal testimony, these I would encourage you to and practically take time every now and then when you're just 
having your quiet times or when you're taking some time alone and just think through what are different things that God has begun to uh, change in my life, you know, um, kind of that Romans 12 too, you know, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renew of your mind. What arenas of life and then even what specific situations has God begin to morph, become more and more like him in my life over time as I followed him? And then occasionally just jot out a couple of sentences, kind of 15 second testimonies to that time so that those are just fresh in your mind. One, to really be able to thank God for those. But as conversations come up, you go, um, all of a sudden it goes ding, ding, ding. Hey, you know what? That person's dealing with this. God's worked my life a little bit on that. Let me share a 15 second testimony here with them on that arena of my life. And then invite a response. Ask them how they deal with that. Ask them a question about that. Um, so not only is one of the ways we're going to articulate things being things like a 15 second testimony, um, but also in sharing the gospel. And again, here, I, I could have, you know, drawn out the bridge illustration, drawn out, you know, different verses, the morality ladder of sharing. I mean, there's all sorts of methods. And talk to, you know, people at your campus. You can figure out different methods. And none of those, those aren't wrong. May you have a variety of tools of how to share. But um, I wanted just to help you kind of get the crux of this. Whatever way you choose to articulate the gospel, at its crux, it needs to be clear that the central idea is that you can trust Jesus for everything. You can trust Jesus for everything. Everything from how to have your sins forgiven to how to have a restored relationship with God who loves you and made you to how to know where you will go when you die to how to step into the kingdom of God now to how to have handle relationships how to find purpose or peace or handle your work or overcome addictions or whatever it may be, all areas of life, we can trust Jesus to show us how to live and to give us power to live in that way. Um, you know, practically that means that we have to accept him both as our Savior and our Lord as we enter into a lifelong relationship of knowing him and following him. And so, <clears throat> you know, uh, you want to think through different ways to articulate the gospel. That's a good thing. Um, but they need to know, man, at its crux, it's really, uh, don't just get bogged down with uh, a certain template you have to share it and do it and that. But they, they need to come across like, man, Jesus is like the goat. Like he, you can trust him for everything. Like, and not just like, uh, and sometimes I think, and the reason I say it like this is we kind of, um, sometimes we share, share in such a way that people pigeonhole Jesus a little bit in the way they share. They think, okay, Jesus can help me deal with like getting a clean slate. But then what do I do with the rest of my life? <laughs> you know? And it's like, no, actually Jesus is the answer to that whole thing. Part of it being how to deal with your sins. But he is the answer. You can trust him for everything. Now, one of those things being how do you get your sins forgiven? And how do you, you know, begin to follow him? Um, but helping people realize too, as you share... It also needs to come across, too, that, man, he is inviting you into a relationship with him, but um, that relationship involves him being both your Savior and your Lord. It's not one or the other. There's not the forgiveness package and then the forgiveness and follow me package, you know, and people are like, I'll just take the forgive me package, you know, and then I'm going to go on and live my life the way I want. I think we need to make sure that we're sharing the gospel in such a way that discipleship and following Jesus 
is a natural accepted process and next step to that. If you're sharing the gospel in such a way that once they, someone says, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, and then you start talking about following and obeying Jesus, and they go, whoa, 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 what? No, 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 I just, I just took the forgiveness package. I did not want the, like him leading my life. I wanted to do my own thing. Well, then you didn't really explain the gospel clearly to them, and they didn't accept the full message because that's not the message. The message is Jesus, you can trust him for everything, and you want to, and it ought to be such that people are lining up. I want to follow Jesus. Like, I can't wait to follow him. And like, I mean, the early, um, in uh, the people in Thessalonica, one of the things that's interesting is Jesus, uh, Paul's writing to them later on um, about heaven and, you know, what that looks like in the afterlife in his second letter. And these people are already following Jesus. They're like, wait, we get heaven too? Oh my goodness. You know, like, that's amazing. And so like, we just thought the good, we just thought we got Jesus, like bonus, you know, and stuff. And sometimes we share it such a way that it's like, you know, hey, you want to just make sure you know where you're going to go when you die, but then you can go out and live like hell the rest of your life. You know, here, this is what you pray this prayer, do this thing. And it's like, no, no. The good news is we get to live in the kingdom of God with God as our king and we get to follow him. Oh, and by the way, entrance into that kingdom is through what Jesus did on the cross. And, you know, you get to follow him. But the big, the big prize is we get to know him. We get to follow him. And for yourselves and for the way you're sharing, I'd encourage you, make sure you're sharing in such a way that people realize, man, the, what I'm really getting an opportunity to do here is I get to know and follow Jesus. Not I get to just have my slate wiped clean and do whatever I want. So, so I'm going to uh, wrap up there. That just kind of some um, kind of overview of that. And in, in our remaining few minutes here, I want to see what, what questions you guys had. Uh, related to some of this or um, things I didn't say. So, yeah. When you're talking to someone and they're sharing their worldview, how they see the world, how do you balance asking them questions that kind of like challenge their, cause them to like think about and challenge their worldview without kind of playing the role of, oh, I'm trying to convict them. How do you ask them good questions or challenge their worldview? Because like, well, you know, kind of, like, I don't want to be like, oh, well, this is why you're wrong. This is why your world is wrong. I also like ask questions that are kind of like lead them to maybe think, yeah. oh, maybe this isn't like the way the world is. <clears throat> um, well, actually, you know, one good resource I'd point you to, there's a really good book um, called Conversational Evangelism um, written by, I think it's by Geisler. Um, and you don't even have to buy the book, but I think on their website, I think they have a website for it too, Conversational Evangelism. Org or .com or something. Uh, you Google it. But um, but they even have like a resource on there of like good like prompting or just conversational questions to ask people. And they even categorize like, if you're talking to, you know, an atheist, here's some good questions for conversation. If you're talking to someone from a Buddhist background or from Muslim background, here's some good topics of conversation and questions to ask. And it's, um, and there's a lot of good just questions in there to think through like, um, getting people to think about why they think the way they think, you know. So that'd be one resource I'd encourage you to look at. Yeah, Justin. So uh, while we know our division of labor and know that we have absolutely zero role in like, changing people's heart, how do we prevent ourselves from getting discouraged when we evangelize less people than other people? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, part of that is you need to have the right uh, win in your mind as to what comes out of those conversations. Um, you know, it's good to have personal goals, but like, let's say, like my little brother one year in high school, one of his personal goals was to grow three inches. Not exactly like something he can uh, has much control over, you know, um, but Oddly enough, he actually grew three inches that year. Um, but um, so, you know, you don't have control. Now, you can pray and that someone steps into the kingdom and accepts that. But that's, that's not really your win in a conversation. That's kind of God's win. So your win, in a sense, is you want them to know, clearly understand the gospel and clearly understand that you love them, God loves them, and the ball is in their court to make a decision. You know, if they, if they understand that, even if they're still sorting, that's a win because they understand the gospel and uh, they know there's a decision for them to make. You know, kind of going back to those first two questions, who is Jesus and what are the ramifications of that for my life? Um, if they have a basic understanding of that, then I think, man, we've done our role well. And statistically, I don't know where, uh, you know, where all these stats come from all the time. But what I've heard from different um, research things before is a lot of times people need to hear the gospel like seven times at least before they end up stepping into the kingdom. So if you or your friends have gotten to share the gospel with a friend of yours over the course of a year or a semester a couple of times, chances are they're probably going to need to hear about another five or six before they step into the kingdom. So don't go, like, I shared with them one time. Like, you know, it's like, how many things whether it's the gospel or anything else, have you had to hear like six times, you know, before you pay attention to what people are actually saying, you know, so. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's always good to never assume like, oh, they gave this answer that, oh, they're Christian. And, and then you fill in the blanks with all this stuff. Um, so I usually, even in getting to know someone, I'll ask them like, uh, and I usually kind of phrase it this way intentionally. I'll say like, so in going to church or being a part of this youth group or this or that or whatever things they said, um, was there ever a time that you, you kind know, of began a relationship with Jesus and kind of invited him to be your Savior and Lord? Or is that something you're still in the process of? thinking about, you know, and, um, and if they say, and sometimes I hear, you know, actually, no, I don't think I ever have. Well, opportunity to be able to share the gospel with them. Or if they say, uh, yeah, um, no, I think I have done that. I said, oh, well, tell me about that. And I, and I want to kind of hear, and I'll ask, you know, follow-up questions from there, because I want to kind of hear their understanding of what they mean by accepting Jesus as your Savior, beginning a relationship with him. Um, and sometimes I'll and then I'll begin to, even that sometimes will lead to the gospel. Because sometimes people, what they mean by that is, oh, yeah, I've, I've been going to church since I was a little kid. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, but I wasn't asking if you've been going to church. I'm just curious. Like, in the, I know some people that have gone to church their whole life, and they wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus. But have you ever decided to, you know, follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Is that something you made that choice to do? Um, and then just kind of go from there. So, um, there's probably more for conversations down the line, but that's like a good initial start, I'd say, when you're wanting to ask someone 
if you're trying to figure out, are they actually a follower of Jesus or not? Um, or did they just go to, you know, a Christian school all their life and been in Sunday school their whole life? It's like, some people have done that. It doesn't mean they're followers of Jesus. So, yes. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, again, part of, part of our our role is you know pray, love, and share. And so I think praying for her is one, and then looking to get her, if you can, around some other uh, whether it may not be in church setting, but get her around some other um, girls and guys that are walking with God. And um, one of the things she'll probably notice over time is one of these things is not like the other. And, um, and so that's, that's helpful for her, but also, you know, again, that's not, uh, odd or an unusual situation. There's a lot of people like that. And part of it is, I think a lot of people have accepted some version of the gospel of sin management and not a gospel of following Jesus, which is the gospel that Jesus actually gave by the way. And, um, and so, you know, a Christian is not someone who has uh, answered correctly on a spiritual scantron multiple choice test. Um, a Christian is someone, by definition, they are a disciple of Jesus. They have chosen to follow Jesus. So by definition, if you say, like, you are a follower of Jesus, but you are not following Jesus, how does that work? And so, um, so see, that's why I, I rarely use the term Christian when I'm talking to people, I, I talk about being a follower of Jesus, because that's much more concrete. Christian could just mean any number of things, like love in people's minds. Like It can mean, oh, I'm of this political party, or I dress this way, or act this way, or I don't do this, or I don't do that. Great. That is not what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you know? Um, and so a question you could ask them maybe sometime in a, um, with her, and I've asked this to students or friends before is, um, hey, uh, how, how, how are you, um, you could phrase it different ways, but essentially, um, so what are you doing right now to really follow Jesus? What do you, how, what does it look, how are you following him in different areas of your life? Like, I'm just curious. And if she's like, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Why do you say that? Well, you know, I mean, obviously we know that Christians are, uh, what a Christian is, they're a follower of Jesus. And so I'm curious, how, how are you following Jesus in this area of your life or that area of your life? Um, and just open up the door for conversation there, you know? And uh, now we're not the ones, again, even though we're not the ones that are convicting and people, that doesn't mean you can't have questions, ask questions to people to get them to think about why they're doing stuff. It's not like, oh, that could be potentially slightly awkward so no that's that's god's role it's like no that's not what that means like you can have conversations with people that you know well and asking different questions 
you're not pinning them against the wall, but just getting to think about why they think about that, you know. Um, so I would, I would begin to ask some questions related to, you know, how are you following Jesus? Not do you believe A, B, and C about Jesus. That's not the, you know, but how is that affecting the way you live and think and do stuff, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of interesting when people have a, you know, Christian background, but they don't trust the base, uh, you know, the Bible, and you're like, what does that mean? Um, but um, yeah, I think uh, again, part of that is you do need to be able to articulate stuff, but sometimes they need to. Um, it's those other parts too, the exposure to your life. They need to begin to see, okay, something's different about his life. Can't pinpoint it exactly. And now something's different about this community that they run with. What is it? What makes them tick? And then beginning to share, you know, um, the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And that's where things like personal testimonies are really helpful too. Because, like, you know, you can share something about the gospel and uh, depending on a person's approach at that point they may be like well i don't believe that stuff but you know it's hard to say like no that didn't happen in your life yeah it did this is my life like you know like it's my own life i'm telling you what happened in my life you know and uh um so to be able to share your testimony may be a good place to start and you know one of the things to help for you guys and to help other people understand too like when it comes to like the gospels and stuff like that it's not true because it's in the bible the Bible, or the New Testament, it wasn't even the Bible initially. The New Testament was written because those events were true. Those events didn't become true because they were written. You know, it was very costly to write things back then. The only reason they even wrote it was because it happened, you know. And so if it hadn't happened, it wouldn't have taken place. And so, you know, the, the centerpiece, you know, of the Christian faith is not even the Bible, or is not even a set of doctrines, the centerpiece is the resurrection. It's a historical event that actually happened and was witnessed by over 500 plus people. If that had not happened, the rest of this wouldn't have even taken place. There would even be a New Testament. There would even be the Bible. There would only still be the old Jewish scriptures, and they're still waiting for a Messiah at that point. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things I try to help people understand initially is, okay, is... Uh, that's, the res- that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. Like, man, if Jesus hadn't, you know, uh, died and rose from the grave, then this is all still, you know, we're still in our sin, and you might as well go ahead and go on party and stuff. But he says, but if this actually did take place, which it did, game on, you know, there's, some, there's hope for the future. Um, but one of the other things I would encourage you to do, a couple of uh, ex- like extra biblical resources you might, if they would be interested in reading this, is um, one is called um, More Than a Carpenter by McDowell. That's a great book to investigate like who Jesus is and the, some of the validity of the scriptures. Um, uh, it's called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. 
Um, another good one related to like the validity is called Can We Trust the New Testament? Um, I think it's by a guy named Peter James. Um, you can find all these on Amazon too, where you can find everything. And um, But it's Can We Trust the New Testament? And he does a really good job of concisely and giving a lot of good evidence behind it. And um, it has a really good bibliography at the end of about 120 pages talking about some of the historical evidence for why we can, and just reasoning behind why we can trust the New Testament. And so I'd encourage you to, that might be a good resource. But for, see, for some people, they're not willing to even read that. And so that's why I encourage people, I say, hey, if, going back to those first original questions, who is Jesus and what are the ramifications for your life? I say, hey, this, this, all this stuff may not be true. Like, and that's fine if you come to the conclusion that it's not true. But if it is, there's a lot more ramifications for your life if this is true than what major you major in, who you're going to go on a date with Friday night, you know, and all these other things. So it would be probably important for you, if you're just playing the odds, to not let this be a total back burner activity. Like, might be a good idea at some point to kind of investigate, is this actually true? And if it's not, that's fine. Go do whatever you want. But if it is, probably good to figure that out sooner than later in life, right? And so... I just and sometimes for some people they, as I'm praying for them they they take the, they take the uh, you know hook on that and they go you know you're right I probably should and they begin to investigate that and um, and we'll read through that and discuss things like that and so yeah we have maybe time for a couple more if not we'll out any other questions and then otherwise I'll wrap up yes okay. Um, well, that's a big question. Um, it's, uh, there's not exactly a, <clears throat> a single answer to that because it all really depends on why, um, in some ways, but the solution to some of that is going to come back to, again, our role here. We still need to be praying for them. We still need to love them and we, and looking for opportunities as we get to know them to share uh, differences with them. What I have found, again, is most people that say they were a Christian or they were grew up in church or this and that, and they've um, you know, kind of quote-unquote left the faith and stuff in some ways, um, rarely is it because they, you know, were, they just got, were reading the Bible and go, I, I do not like Jesus. I don't want to follow him. It's usually, um, you know, someone that was an authority or they looked up to in their life that claimed to be a follower of Jesus, twisted off, and now they just don't, you know, they're like, well, good grief. Maybe this is all just a bunch of garbage. Or they heard from some professor or something who had a bunch of degrees but, you know, was an atheist and <laughs> convinced them otherwise or stuff like that. Um or for some people, they just wanted to live a sinful lifestyle and they could just couldn't justify in their conscience uh, saying that this is true. And so, you know, it's, easy, it's easier on their conscience to go, ah, that's probably not true. Why? Because I want to go sleep with my girlfriend. Um, so, and I can't, I feel too guilty to say this is true and still go sleep with her. So therefore I have to say this isn't true. Um, and uh, it just appeases their conscience better that way. And so depending on where they're coming from, you know, um, I want them I want to love them. I want to pray for them and then begin to figure out kind of why asking questions. Why, um, why did you, why did you leave? What was it about it? 
And for some of them, it may be that they just had not, they had been told a caricature of Jesus their whole life, a caricature of the, of the gospel, and that just was not satisfying. And honestly, I don't blame them. You know, if they're like, okay, if this is just about do this and don't do this, I don't, I don't want that, but that's not what it's about, you know? And uh, so helping them realize, no, 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 this is about a relationship. You know, this is about, I know a lot of people that came from different, you know, Christian school backgrounds and they had all this stuff shoved down their throat, but they never introduced into a relationship with Jesus. And so whether it's Catholic Christian school or some other Christian school, and so just the staleness of it, just the rigidity of all this kind of stuff, they're like, no, I don't really want that. I'm like, totally get that, you know? Um, or they're like, I'm not really religious. I'm like, yeah, me either. And like, well, you're not religious? Aren't you like full-time staff with a college ministry? I'm like, yeah, but see, religion is about just, it's a man-made thing about just do's and don'ts and trying to figure out how to earn your way in God's good graces. Like Christianity is about a relationship. And so, um, you know, that's that's what I have with, with God and stuff. And they're like, oh, okay. And so I think it's, it depends on the person, but it's going to be conversations over time that's going to need to take place asking him questions, kind of getting to know where they're at, but not starting off from the standpoint of like, oh, well, you're just wrong and you need to change. It's like, we'll figure out what what is it. It made sense to them for some reason to leave. Why did it make sense to them and begin to understand that? Could be they just never knew the real gospel to begin with. So, um, All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go ahead and end it here. If you have more questions, feel free to stay and ask. But I think there are snacks to be had. And so, and then we're going to eat lunch here soon. Um, and I need to go out there and help get that set up. But if you have more questions, feel free to ask me and then but we'll wrap up. So thanks, guys. Thank you.